You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Sharing a space is rough. I am an only child, so I must say, before I got married, I did not have much experience with this. I had a roommate in college. Whew! I had a few of those situations, and some were easier than others. But now I have a permanent roommate, my husband, and certainly we have challenges as well. Today's episode is focusing on cohabitating. Do you have challenges with your roommate? Maybe you're married to your roommate. That poses a whole new level of space-sharing challenges, and I have strategies for you. This is Big Design, Small Budget. I'm Betsy Helmuth, and let's get talking. So as I mentioned, sharing is not my strong point. Uh, both my husband and I are only children, and now we have people perpetually in our space, each other, our children, our pet. So it is a day-to-day -day challenge to live with all these other people in harmony. But perhaps you have roommates, perhaps you have family members uh, who are outside your nuclear family who are living with you. How do you cope day-to-day? -day? Well, Rumi which is a roommate-finding app, reached out to me last week and asked me if I could help them come up with some strategies that they could share on their blog. And I would love to share the ideas that I had with you. My first tip for cohabitating is that you need to really get on the same page in your entryway. When you first come in, each person that's living there needs a place for their bag, their coat, their shoes. Some people think that an entry closet is going to solve all their problems. Well, we have an entry just closet. Just put it in there. Easier said than done. I will never open up an entry closet. I won't. I need a hook for my coat. I'm never going to put anything on a hanger, like, ever. This is an important thing to know about myself. It's an important thing to know about your roommate. So before you guys move in together, or maybe if you're already living in chaos, you guys need to sit down and have a meeting. What is going on? What is our strategy? Where are we putting the mail? Where are we putting the keys? I will tell you how my husband and I solved it. I got a Besta piece from Ikea so that I could fully customize my entry cabinet. Certainly there are amazing entry cabinets at places like Overstock, Wayfair, you can just type in entry cabinet, shoe cabinet, entry console, and find lots of amazing options. But in my case, I needed to customize something. We take off our shoes when we come in. I have given everybody a shelf for their shoes. I have labeled it with a label maker. Then I have a place behind closed doors for our mittens, our scarves, our headphones. And then on top of this console, I have put trays. In our family, there are two trays. One is exclusively for mail, and the other tray is exclusively for schoolwork. But maybe in your situation, if you have roommates, one is specifically for Leroy, and one is specifically for you. They're labeled or color-coded. That way, it's quite clear. And when one of you brings in the mail, you can mail each other. You can put Leroy's stuff in his tray and put your stuff in your tray. But it needs to be a solution that you come up with together. You can't just impose this solution on someone else because it may not fit the kind of person that they are. For instance, you may be living with somebody who doesn't hang things up like me. They may be a dumper 
or a hooker. Wow, that sounded that sounded crazy. I am a hooker. I need to put things on hooks. That's what that means in this context. And I need to have a bench where I can dump my bag. I'm never going to put my bag in a closet. I'm never going to take my bag to my room or my home office. You have to be realistic with your expectations of who that person is and what they will actually do. And then enforce the habit. So once the tray of mail is full, it needs to get cleaned out. Enforce the habit. That would be my tip for the entry strategy. Also, focus on the walls. A lot of my clients who have roommates are afraid to invest in furniture pieces because maybe their roommate won't treat it as nicely as they would. Maybe their sofa will get stained or they're worried that their armchair will get too much use. So if they invest in those fabric upholstered pieces, the longevity is going to be compromised by the roommate. So a place where you can invest and keep your space stylish is with artwork. So choosing artwork, nobody's going to spill on there. Nobody's going to stain. Nobody's going to scratch it up. It'll be something that you can take with you to your next space and it will help your shared space to feel decorated, to still feel stylish because so many times I walk into people's shared spaces and because they feel like they can't agree on artwork or because they don't want to impose their personal tastes, nothing gets put up. And it just looks so sad and tragic. So sit down with your roommate. Sit down with your partner. Make sure that they're on board with the artwork you're choosing. But ultimately, do hang something. And don't worry about spending a little bit more money on it. You'll be able to take it with you to that next space that perhaps you can claim as only yours. The next tip that I have for making a shared space stylish is to add plants. Plants, plants, plants. Not only do they act as little sculptures around the room, which helps things look more interesting, they also oxygenate the air. So if things are a little bit smelly, if you have a roommate who doesn't do his or her laundry as much as you wish that they would, I love incorporating plants to get a fresh air feel and smell. But the other exciting thing about having plants with roommates is there's more people to remember to water them. I do not have a green thumb, and part of the problem is I just constantly forget to water my plants. But when there's more than one person in the family who's got their eye on your greenery, chances are it will get taken care of a little better. The other thing that you want to think about when you're purchasing things for your space is think about incorporating synthetic fibers. In other words, for a rug, I do not get a wool rug in roommate situations. Because you never know what's going to happen. Wool rugs tend to be more expensive. They tend to be harder to clean. They tend to shed, which means that there's more maintenance in terms of how often you have to vacuum. When you have roommates, you need low-maintenance rugs. And that's why I gear towards acrylics or polypropylenes, things that if there's a spill can easily be wiped up with a damp paper towel or a spot treater. They're not going to shed, so they rarely need to be vacuumed in terms of their own fibers. Certainly, it might have to be vacuumed if you host parties or have a lot of crumbs. But they're just set-it-and-forget-it style rugs, and they're very affordable. So you haven't invested a lot in this piece that will ultimately get a lot more wear and tear since you have more feet walking over it. 
Another example is I have a polypropylene rug in my office and it's been down here. It's a storefront office, so people are walking in all the time. It's been down here for two years and it looks like the day I bought it. And certainly we've had a lot of shoes on here, but also I bring my dog to work every day and he did have a vomiting incident. Is this TMI? Is this TMI for this podcast? He had a vomiting incident a few weeks ago, and you can't tell where it happened. Amazing. I cleaned it up with a paper towel and just some spot treater. Amazing. Polypropylene rugs. Another synthetic that is a favorite go-to is pleather for comfortable dining chairs, for a storage ottoman. Skip the leather, which can get scratched and has to be treated Skip the fabrics, which can be stained, and go for pleather, which you could really take a sponge to. A lot of times people in shared spaces decorate, as I was mentioning before with the artwork, with their tail between their legs. They're afraid that their roommate is not going to like what they picked. They're afraid to invest too much in case it gets destroyed. One place where I really like to encourage roommates or even spouses to take ownership of a design element is with pillows. So once you guys have decided upon a color palette that you're deriving from either that shared artwork or the acrylic rug, then you can say, you know what, Leroy, why don't you pick out a couple of blue pillows? Any pillows you like, any pattern, any look, you pick out the blue pillows, I'll pick out the yellow pillows. And that way, each person has not only a visual object that reminds them that they have ownership in the space, but also a physical object that they can squish, mush, a comfort object that they can choose and snuggle up with so that they're feeling experientially included in the room as well as visually included. So those are some of my tips for living with roommates. I think it's vital. I recall roommate situations where you just want to feel like you kind of recede into the background, but then nobody really feels at home, not even your guests. There's no visual indication of who specifically is living there. What personalities? What's everyone bringing to the table literally in this situation? So don't forget to be inclusive of your roommates. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be stain-proof. It just has to be bought with a designer eye and with these practical tips in mind. So now let's get right over to my design questions after a quick commercial break. Do you love learning about design? Do you wish you could take a deeper dive into the topics we discuss every week on my podcast? You can. I offer online design classes. Just head to the website bigdesignsmallbudget.com and you can check out my online classes there. I offer three different courses, one in feng shui, one in styling, and one that focuses on furniture selection, size, etc. Choose from those classes or take all three and get a copy of my book for free. Each class is $40 or get that combo pack with the book, three classes, and the book mailed to your home for $90. Mention promo code podcast to get 15% off your entire order. Check out my classes, learn more, empower yourself so that you can go shopping with confidence and design a space that looks uniquely you while having optimum flow. Check it out at bigdesignsmallbudget.com. Guys, I am reaching deep, deep into the old mailbag to answer your questions. Into the old mailbag. My first question today was called in by Amy from North Carolina, and she asked, 
Betsy, I'm wanting to hang a gallery wall, but I'm afraid I don't know how high to hang it. In your book, you mentioned that a picture should be hung 59 inches from the floor to the center, but what about a gallery wall? Great question, Amy. Thanks for calling in. So with a gallery wall, you generally do from the floor to the center of the whole collection, 59 inches. That way, half of the pieces are above that number and half of the pieces are below, yet the bulk of the pieces in the middle would be at eye level. Now, if you're doing a massive, oversized wall, something larger than 5 feet by 5 feet, the rules become fuzzier. And also, there could be other things that would impact how high your gallery wall should be hung. For instance, if it's above a dining table, you want to make sure that you can pull your chairs back so that they won't hit even the lowest of pictures. So in some circumstances of the gallery wall, we go off of that 59 to the center rule. But in general, if you're hanging a modestly sized gallery wall that's under 5 feet by 5 feet square, stick to our museum height rule and you won't go wrong. My next question comes from Kara. Kara writes, Betsy, what do you recommend to outfit an outdoor living space? We have chairs and a bench. Should I add a rug, possibly plants, a fire pit, a bar cart, or should I hang a wall-mounted fountain? Thank you, Kara. The first question is actually for you, Kara. Certainly, I could answer this with what I think is aesthetically pleasing, but none of it is going to be aesthetically pleasing if you don't have a handle on how much maintenance you want to do. For instance, if you get a fountain, You have to fill it. You have to clean it. You have to prevent algae growth. Is that something that you're willing to do? If you get a potted plant, you have to water it. You have to maintain it. You have to make sure that it gets the right amount of sunlight. Is that something that you have time for? If it's not, I would never recommend those things. They're going to look horrible if they're unkept, right? I would always add a rug to an outdoor space. I like the polypropylene rugs that are quite thin that have sort of a plasticky appearance because it can rain, it can snow, you don't have to roll it up or ever bring it inside. There are some outdoor rugs that are plush that have a softness to them or a texture. I avoid those. Those really soak in the muck and the grime and the water and they take a lot longer to dry and they're just less easy to live with. So I recommend a polypropylene outdoor rug in nearly every situation where there's a patio. I think that the fire pit is, again, up to your maintenance. And a bar cart is problematic for me in that you couldn't leave the bottles and glasses out all the time. So you'd have to wheel it in or clear it off. And that just sounds exhausting. So for my money and my lifestyle, I go super easy. I do outdoor pillows that I got from Overstock. I do an oversized outdoor rug that I got from Wayfair. I do a table dining set that I got from Crate and Barrel. I do an outdoor sectional set with two accompanying chairs that I got from Overstock. I don't bring in any of the cushions in the summer and spring months, and I bring everything indoors in the winter and fall. So I hope that that helped. I hope that that's provided some clarity for you. And really, with some of these design questions, guys, the first place you want to start. In fact, can I tell you something else that's controversial? I've been thinking about a tagline for my business, affordable interior design. Because everybody's like, you got to have a tagline. What's your tagline? 
And I came up with a tagline and I pitched it to my entrepreneurial girlfriends and they cringed. My tagline was practical first, pretty second. And they were like, Betsy, ick. If I'm hiring an interior design firm, it's because I want pretty first, practical second. And guys, I get that. I get that. When you're emailing me, that's what you want. When you're hiring an interior designer, that's your intention. Pretty first. But let me tell you my intention. As your designer, I want to make sure that your pretty is going to last. I want to make sure that your pretty is going to look pretty when you forget to water it, when you forget to bring it inside, when you step on it with muddy shoes. So as a designer, I'm actually thinking practical first. And I hate to rain on your parade, and it's not going to be my new business tagline, but Kara, when you're designing your outdoor patio, be practical first. How much maintenance are you and your family really going to (laughs) do? All right. My last question today comes from Anne-Marie. She wrote on Facebook, Betsy, we use a desktop computer for work, school, and also watching movies. We have our computer, monitor, printer, and speakers in a small living room, which doubles as our family room. Right now I have the monitor in a big, old, ugly entertainment center and the whole thing looks really out of place. We also have to have a landline phone placed in the media center because of where our connections are. We use the other shelves on the entertainment center to screw our school books, games, printer paper, etc. I need another more aesthetically pleasing solution. I want something that does not look like a desk that might make the monitor look more like a television. Do you have any ideas? So I didn't see any pictures, so I'm not exactly sure what we're working with here, Anne-Marie, but my first concern is that you want the monitor to look like a TV, so it needs to be big like a TV. I'm a little bit worried that this monitor might be looking more and more like a computer because it's small. How you determine the appropriate screen size for your particular living room is measure from where your booty would be on the couch to where the front of that screen would be in inches and divide it by two. So in other words, if your room from where your booty is on the couch to the front of the screen is 120 inches, you need a 60 inch TV. If it is 130 inches, you need a 65 inch TV. Now that is the size of your monitor and that is a really huge monitor. And if you're really using this as a desk, if you and your family are really using that monitor to do keyboard stuff. Unless you're going to sit on the couch and use your keyboard, I just don't see how it could really do both when you're watching movies. I don't want to watch movies on a small computer monitor and I don't want to do my homework or billing on a large TV-sized computer screen. Sometimes when you try and make something do multi-functions, it doesn't do either of the functions very well and that's a red flag for me right here. Now, Anne-Marie, I would love for you to prove me wrong. I would love for you to send me pictures of how small your living room is and how moderately sized that screen is and how it's all working together, and I will change my tune and provide new information in next week's mailbag. But for this week's mailbag, I'm thinking that you might just need to pony up and get a TV. And I'm thinking that you might just need to pony up and get a laptop. And I'm thinking that maybe those things need to be separate. And while you might still house the printer and the school books in the entertainment center behind closed doors, you may even put the laptop on top of one of the shelves. But in terms of their primary functions, I'm worried. I'm worried that the TV and the desk are both being compromised and that there's a better way. 
So that's my two cents, guys. It has been wonderful talking to you again this week. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks again to my premium members. If you're interested in a premium membership, getting full access to my archives, including my weekly bonus episode, check it out on bigdesignsmallbudget.com. Also go to affordableinteriordesign.com. It's your one-stop shop for my online classes, for my interior design book, which I will hand sign, inscribe to you, and to check out our blog and our latest news. Thank you so much to my intrepid producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the Embassy, the house band, and finally to Affordable Interior Design, who pays for this podcast week after week. And a big shout out to all my listeners. It is so great talking to you. I always have a blast. If you have ideas for episode topics, send them in. If you have interior design questions, send those in too. Betsy at affordableinteriordesign.com. Until next week, bye. Bye.